Hello and a warm welcome to this week's edition of Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday, the 7th of December 2021. Mark Penders on the US East Coast and I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London. So just when it seemed that the outlook for central bank policy was getting at least a little clearer, the arrival of the Omicron variant already in around 50, 50 countries worldwide has helped to fog the crystal ball again. And it's going to take a while before the economic implications of this latest mutation can be properly assessed. So do monetary authorities bite the inflation bullet and adhere to the previously anticipated path of increasingly less policy accommodation? Or do they hold fire and see how the virus effects pan out first? Either way, uncertainty levels have climbed sharply. At the end of last week, the VIX, the uh, Chicago Board Options Exchange's volatility index, saw its highest readings since January. So, Mr. Pender, before we ask you about Omicron and the mm. f- what's the latest data been telling us about the state of the U.S. economy? Uh, the, well, we had the employment report last week, and uh, that was a mixed report. Uh, 210,000 rise in non-farm payrolls was uh, well below expectations. Um, and it was really, for me, it was a negative report. The participation rate did go up a couple of tenths to 61.8, and the Hawks used this as a, you know, as a as a sign of um, kind of a new normal of a full a maximum employment at a, at a at a lower rate of participation. This rate was over 63% going into the um, pandemic. So there's fewer where, people. Where, where, where would it? Where was it? Sort of on average before we actually had this pandemic in the first place. So it was like 62, 60, 63.2, 63.3%. And that was actually uh, historically subdued. So there's fewer and fewer people. And this this is a break lower. Uh, we're below 62% now. So there's fewer people in the in the U.S. Um, um, employment uh, labor market at the same time you know we've had a couple of years of population growth normal population growth so this is it's you know the, the the reading here is is pretty concerning but for monetary policy uh the you know the available labor market is the available labor market and you know we we had uh, some indications of uh wage pressures uh three 0.3 rise which is kind of a, a moderate rise but uh that follows uh, higher rises before uh the annual rate of 4.8 percent is um not uh is elevated but really the it's all goes back to that third quarter employment cost index which is a separate report released by the labor department which is very closely watched which is a concentration on employment costs and that was uh, 1.3% on the quarter and th- nothing like that had ever been seen. So that was a real, this is a lasting echo of uh, wage pressure. So, uh, and if, if this is the new, um, you know, it's a hollow, a, a hollow achievement to, to have a, uh, maximum employment at this lower mm. uh, a level of participation. But if it, that's what it is, that's what it is. And if it's going to be inflationary wage push inflation, then, uh, presumably, the Fed will have to act. Will have to act. But the big, the big report this week is going to be the CPI on Friday. This was uh, super elevated um, in the last report uh, at zero point. If you remember that last report, that's what kind of kicked uh, the um, the asset. You know, our, uh, accelerating asset, the accelerating the, the uh, tapering. Mm-hmm. Um, it was 0.9 percent on the month, which had never been seen or was last seen during the Iranian Revolution or something like that. And the core was 0.6 percent, and that excludes uh, energy. 
as well as food, which is also going up. Um, and the economy's consensus is not for much moderation. 0.7% monthly headline is an outrageous uh, If you analyze that, we're talking, yeah, well it's into almost double, double digits. Digit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's high single digits on the year. And 0.5% on the month for the core, the annual rates are seen at 6.8% overall and 4.9%. So um, if these numbers do come out, where does Omicron fit? Maybe it'll be a scientific update. You know, the, the FOMC will meet Tuesday and Wednesday next week. And maybe there'll be some kind of report between the between those days, Tuesday and Wednesday, that could actually, up, you know, change the balance of the view because it is so much up in the air. There's certainly now in the U.S. Um, with Dr. Fauci coming out and, and saying that, uh, it looks to be a mild uh, uh, Omicron looks to have a, a, a mild um, disease uh, component, whatever, uh, whatever, you know, effect. So if it is mild and you can see the markets are recovering uh, sharply now, the stock market. So uh, if it if that's what we see this time next week and it's too early to tell, um, then I think we end, especially if we see the CPI come in on expectations, which is super elevated, that I think we will see um, the Fed uh, announcing next week, both, you know, two different things, uh, uh, recalibrating their wording on inflation, uh, throwing out the word transitory, which um, Powell uh, uh, disowned last yeah, week. Let me ask you, I want to ask you about that. I'll just quote what Mr. Powell said last week, as you say, okay. with regards to the transitory. I think it's probably a good time to retire that word and try to explain more clearly what we mean. So what do you think he's going to say and what do they mean? <laughs> well, they, uh, and you know, they're blaming, you know, they hardly ever blame, uh, blame themselves for poor communications, but they, they cut themselves into a trap, uh, um, you know, six months ago, uh, uh, isolating the cause of the inflation to bottlenecks, not to uh, massive amounts of fiscal and monetary stimulus, but to what they had saw at the time as, you know, um, uh, physical obstruction choke points in the global economy that were bound, they thought, to uh, uh, clear up. But it's more structural than that. So, uh, but they really can't blame themselves. That, that I think that they would, deep in their heart, they may they may wonder, <laughs> uh, you know, are we responsible for this in some part? But they're not going to be. They're not going to. Powell hasn't given any indication yet of, of admitting this. So um, it's going to probably be um, pinned on, uh, you know, uh, problems in the supply chain. Some kind. They're going to be blaming. Uh, the global supply chain for the uh, the physical limitations of the supply chain. Not that's the supply side. Not the vast amount of demand that's been unleashed by all this uh, monetary and fiscal stimulus over the globe. So uh, I think that that's how they're going to play it. They're going to emphasize the supply and choke points and not the demand and uh, policy points. But at the same time, they're, they'll be revealing themselves because they're going to be tapering. They very well may double. Their um, the pace of their uh, taper. So right now they're um, uh, been reducing their uh, treasury and mortgage-backed securities purchases by 15 billion dollars per month. That could go up to 30 billion. So 20 billion less for uh, treasuries and 10 billion less per month for mortgage-backed securities. So that's a lot less printing money to buy bonds. So that's that can't be very good for the bond market. So 
Um, but in any case, I, I, unless Omicron really does come out and surprise everybody with being serious um, cases that begin to um, unfold, because we, you know, uh, when you read the reports, there they are rising, including in Europe, and I'll let you uh, go there. But you don't see hospitalizations increasing yet. But it, maybe it takes a week or two. So uh, if that does happen, then everything is out the window for the Fed. Yeah. But if Omicron uh, behaves itself, then um, I, I do th- definitely think you'll see a, um, a rejiggering of inflation, uh, somehow trying to deflect blame for monetary policy, and then a, a, a faster pace of tapering. Okay, fair enough. That all makes sense. And I guess one thing it's worth saying about Omicron, of course, is that, you know, what would the net impact of Omicron, if it, is, if it is, let's say, reasonably serious, be on inflation in the first place? And the temptation is to suggest that, well, it's going to hit economic activity and therefore that's going to start putting downward pressure mm-hmm. on prices, particularly commodity prices. Mm-hmm. However, just from we know from the Delta experience, there was actually much more of a hit to supply than there was to demand. Mm-hmm. As demand started to recover, of course, it's, that's one of the reasons this, this gap we have between demand growth and supply mm-hmm. growth that uh, you know, inflation is where it is at the moment okay, okay well let me let me ask you now we have a lockdown in germany is that right and how is this going to affect things well, we don't actually have a full lockdown yet, but what Germany and indeed most of Europe or continental Europe anyway, um, since uh, our last podcast, they have been tightening measures, notably with regards to overseas travel. But as far as Germany is concerned, um, as of what, December 2nd last week, they decided there'd be tightening restrictions for those unvaccinated against the COVID virus, which means that unless essentially you got what's called. But that's a third of their population, right? Well, so, it's getting on for that. I'm still, so that's uh, a lot. So that's a lot. Lockdown. Well, it's a partial lockdown, um, certainly. Um, and it does mean that those people no, will no longer have access to well, non-essential shops, restaurants, you know, culture and leisure places and that sort of thing. And indeed, they are at the moment, they've got a draft law um, on mandatory vaccination, which is uh, expected to be submitted to Parliament, I think, for entry into force around about February or March. of Mandatory. Next year. So mandatory vaccinations for? Well, it sounds like pretty well for everyone. Um, unless for whatever you know, health reasons you won't be, uh, you know, you don't actually have to have it. Uh, that has to get through the German Parliament, so that's mm. not uh, guaranteed it'll happen yet. But it is nonetheless, I think, uh, a fairly clear indication of what's happening in Europe. You mentioned Austria is in lockdown, we know, and mm-hmm. indeed that's been ex- extended now until at least December the 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, France has introduced tighter regulation. I mean, it really doesn't matter where you look at the moment. It's pretty much the same thing. And, you, and, and we haven't seen anything the data on social unrest effect economic numbers yet we had the belgian uh, you know over here we see riots in the streets it was austria a couple weeks back or a week back and now we saw it in belgium um are these isolated are these small are are we going to start seeing these somehow you know we have seen vaccination refusals appear in u.s data in small numbers in in challenger layoff data you know twenty thousand layoffs a month in healthcare, essentially people refusing to get vaccinated. So we are seeing little glimpses of this. Can we? Where would we see is social unrest being overplayed by the press? I think yes. I'm thinking. I mean, social unrest always makes for a good story, you know, good front page, good front page stuff. Um, I think what we've seen in Europe, and so far anyway, to a much lesser extent in the likes of the UK, uh, there are certainly pockets of genuine unrest. And 
and that's why governments by and large have been extremely reluctant to actually go you know the full hog so to speak and introduce lockdowns now obviously austria has done that um they're effectively going down the almost the zero covid route like we've seen in parts of the world like china and so on but for most of the others you know it's been a gradual tightening of restrictions which obviously hasn't gone down well in some quarters but from what we've seen so far i think it's more a case of you know pockets of resistance which at least to date haven't really had any obvious impact upon the economic data themselves now clearly if they start spreading and become more intense then it could well be the case that the numbers do start being impacted but at the moment i think it's probably fair to say that you know looking at the numbers they seem to be following the kind of pattern you'd expect for this you know this stage of the economic cycle um, but just quickly sticking with COVID, I think it's important to note that I think from your side and certainly looking at the way the US market's performing, you know, there has been you know, some pullback and some sense of relief, but perhaps uh, Omicron won't be as bad as originally people thought it might be. In Europe, the issue is, of course, that um, COVID has already had a huge impact over the course of the last couple of months. So countries like Germany, Belgium are at record levels of, of um, COVID infections. And indeed, it's true for the European Union as a whole. And as a result of which, some countries are actually running out of uh, ICU uh, bed spaces now. They're actually having to, to all intents and purposes, export patients across borders. So here, there is much more of a concern that even if, and let's all hope so, that Omicron is not as dangerous a threat as might have been the case, if we're going to see hospitalizations continue to rise, there's simply a shortage of space. There's a lack of mm-hmm. hospital bed. I saw something on BBC and Wales in, in, in some hospital put out some bulletin that don't come here. Did it is. That's, that? Yeah, it is getting exactly like that. It's it, a real so issue. what does that mean for the Bank of England next week? Well, it's a good question. I must have probably talk more about that next week because at the moment it really is up in the air. But I think it's fair to say, listening to the comments coming out from the Bank of England prior to what the back end of last week when the Omicron first broke, I think most forecasters, uh, analysts are going down the view that, OK, they didn't tighten last November. No one's completely sure still why, but they're going to tighten you know, this month. However, since the new variant broke, um, there's crucially, I suppose, at least one set of comments coming out from Michael Saunders, who's typically regarded as perhaps the biggest hawk on the Monetary Policy Committee. And he was quoted was it yesterday or the day before, essentially saying that, well, this Omicron variant could be a hit to um, you know, the economy. We don't know what the effects are going to be yet. Therefore, it may make sense to just give it a little bit longer and see what happens. Now, something which makes sense, I think, it, you know, going down that route is that traditionally, like so many central banks, the Bank of England likes to operate on the basis of what its latest economic forecasts are saying, and they're contained in its monetary policy report. Now, it had one of those um, last time, but it won't be getting one now until what February of next year. So that then would give it, what, a couple of months or so to have a look at what this virus is doing before actually pulling the plug. Um, to come out and pull the plug now when there's greater uncertainty about the economy than there was back last month when they had the new set of economic forecasts. We didn't know about the the Omicron variant. It, it, you know, it kind of sort of, I think, you know, tugs at the tugs at the edges of their own credibility. Um, now, that said, for some other members, um, Mr. Broadbent, Ben Broadbent, who's one of the deputy governors, who's typically regarded as being fairly neutral and so perhaps a better guide to how the majority vote will go. He made some fairly sort of, you know, slightly hawkish comments by his standards yesterday, really just 
I was just pointing out the obvious fact that inflation is too high. He's now talking about it going well above 5% next year. And the current bank forecast is for a peak of about 5% uh, in the first half of next year. Well, he's now suggesting it's going to go well above that and emphasising the fact that there's this risk of, you know, the second round impact on wages, which makes next week's labour market report all the more important to watch. So then uh, for uh, people now, the BOE meeting is on Thursday next week. You're going to have the, the labour market report, which will have the wages data. That's going to be on Tuesday. And yep. you're also having a CPI report. On Wednesday. So two of the most important numbers. And it's literally the case currently, I think, that most MPC members, I suspect at the moment, don't know how they're going to vote next week. Um, when they didn't decide to tighten in November, they made it very obvious they wanted to see the numbers between now and the December meeting to help to, you know, to clarify the situation. So I think next week's numbers, notably the labour market report and the wages component of that, could be instrumental in you know, tipping the balance one way or the other as to whether or not rates do go up or they're just going to you know, hold fire for the time being. Wow. So that's a hard one to call. Now, I uh, OK, so now the ECB also meets on. Th- uh, do they mean have a two day meeting? The ECB is it a one day meeting w- with the announcement on Thursday? It's essentially a sort of a two day meeting, but, the, the, but nothing is ever said until we actually get to the announcement on Thursday. Now, how now the ECB, they've been downplaying inflation or not downplaying it, but they haven't been reacting. Is that a fair thing to say about the ECB? It is and it isn't, which I suppose is a classic economist's answer. Um, yes, in general, it's exactly right. They have been very much one of those banks who have been towing the line that don't worry about it. We know inflation's going up. It's going up for one-off reasons, the usual stuff, COVID oil prices, um, supply chain disruptions, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, Germ- the German VAT effects. So don't worry, because it's coming down next year. And indeed, in January, unless something's wacky happens to oil prices, it's almost certain headline rate will almost certainly come down and indeed the core rate just because of the one of the fallout of the VAT effects coming out of Germany. Um, but because prices are so high now and been rising so quickly, there's a number of hawks on the ECB who really are starting to get you know, increasingly rattled now notably the German contingent and the Dutch contingent as well, who really are are clearly very unhappy with what's happening in inflation domestically because it's well above the sort of rates they want to see. And they'd like to see, well, ultimately a much less accommodative monetary policy. And they're going to be pushing hard at next week's meeting for the ECB to come out. And well, as far as they're concerned, they'd probably like to see the PEP the pandemic emergency purchase program being ended in March, which almost certainly will be, unless Omicron turns out to be really nasty and not replaced. Um, that then would take out a big chunk of the current quantitative easing program. It still leave the old asset purchase program, which is running at 20 billion um, euros a, a month, uh, but it would wipe out the best part of what 60 billion a month or so of euros, which the ECB is currently purchasing under the PEP. That's what they'll be after. I don't think they'll get away with that, but um, there's a good chance I think you know the PEP will end, and if they if they introduce a replacement, it'll be of a much smaller size. But you know to answer your question, there's splits within the count which have got wider and wider as inflation has gone up. And I think the big concern for some is that, OK, inflation peak will be transitory in the sense that special factors will automatically pull inflation down next year. But if you look at the gap, for example, currently between the, well, the producer price rate of inflation, Ooh. so pipeline inflation and HICP or that's yeah, 20%. It, 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 with the 20%. Well, the gap, well, the gap between the two 
is currently running at 17.8 percentage points. The gap between the two core rates is at seven percentage points. Now, these are pretty you know, unprecedentedly big gaps. And it really, you know, to the extent that the PPI isn't a bad leading indicator, it's not perfect. It's not a bad leading indicator of CPI inflation. It really does suggest that underlying CPI inflation is going to have to rise further. And that's what the hawks on UCB are getting increasingly concerned about. Well, that gets right to the transitory issue now. If the Fed and let's talk about okay, so you know transitory being in the producers and the supply side, but let's also talk about global economic central bank policy. There is a conformity in the language. There has there is a, they all went to the same school, all studied under the same professors, all read the same textbooks. But if the Fed throws out the word transitory, what it, 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 will the other central banks? I mean, what are they going to do with their word transitory? Um, I think as far they may start watering it down a bit. You may say transitory being shifted um, in such a way that yeah, it gives the impression that it's still going to inflation is still going to come down. But, you know, the lags and the peaks involved are perhaps not quite as clear as they thought they were. And indeed, even Pres ECB President Lagarde, who last week was yet again banging the drum, trying to reassure investors that, yes, inflation in the eurozone will be only transitory. She was admitting, well, it may last you know higher and somewhat longer than we mm. thought but don't panic because it will still be low on your on target so it's possible target. Yeah. they're all together throughout that word at the same time it's possible i mean i think to be fair to the ecb i mean inflation in the eurozone is currently running at what uh, 4.9 percent so it's a bit below where you are and of course mm. the core rate is relatively low at 2.6 really? france was low i mean i saw your report last week it was surprised was it last week um yes uh, it was I and mean, uh, sorry, I'm sorry. No, but no, it's no, just no, like no, not no. all the countries have a, have a high rate of inflation. Or... No, a, no, a number of them don't. That's right. When you're talking about the French rate, um, where are we currently currently running up about three, just over? No, sorry, about one percent or so, something like that. I think in Italy, you're again the core rate is running well below the two percent mark. So mm. you know, the hawkish members tend to be countries like, well, obviously like Germany, where both the headline rate and indeed the core rates are running well above where they'd want to see them. So um, in Germany, I'm um, the core rate is now. Well, the latest figure is probably going to be somewhere around about 3.3, something like that. We've only got the provisional flash numbers at the mm -hmm. moment. But, you know, for German standards, a 3% core rate is wholly mm -hmm. unacceptable. So, so what do you see for the ECB next week? ECB, well, it's not going to be nothing at all about what's happening now because they won't do anything with quantitative easing for now. And they won't obviously won't, certainly won't do it with interest rates. The focus will be on, I suspect, um, what they're going to say about the pandemic emergency purchase program, this PEP. Um, so they're expected, at least I think the general general expectations that they will announce that as pre, you know, previously suggested, it will be terminated in March next year. And if that is the case, the key question mark is what are they going to do? I mean, do they simply end it and say that's going to put a big hole in their quantitative easing program, or will they replace it with something which I think is much more likely? And if that's the case, what it what is it going to be? I mean, they've already come out. I mean, one of the problems for some of these countries, of course, like Greece, is that Greek bonds are still not of investment grade, but they were allowed to be purchased uh, due to special circumstances because of the nature of the PEP. Uh -huh. They don't qualify for purchasing under the asset purchase program for longstanding QE part. So if they get rid of the PEP, 
what are they going to do about Greek bonds? They've already come out and you know, intimated, well, don't worry, we're still going to purchase Greek bonds. But to do that, they'll either have to modify some of the arrangements surrounding the asset purchase program, or they're going to have to come out with some kind of new purchase vehicle, which I guess is probably more likely. So next week for the ECB, it's not kind of what's happening now. It's going to be about what they plan to do as far as next year is concerned. Okay. Now let's talk up. Now you also have the Swiss National Bank, um, and they have a low or comparatively low um, inflation, very low inflation rate. It is moving a little bit higher, but not very much. Um, what do you see? And, and they must be sitting pretty right now. Um, you know, um, with the talk about rate hikes everywhere and and tapering, that must help them. And and how how's the Swiss franc been doing? Well, it should be. I mean, you're right. I mean, you would think they all talk about, you know, the Fed tapering and ultimately, you know, that just means that the first hike in interest rates isn't going to be too far away. We have seen some other central banks like Reserve Bank of New Zealand, South Korea tightening as well, which, of course, should be a negative for the Swiss franc because their rates are so low. I'm um, just to remind folks, you know, their benchmark rate is still minus 0.75 percent. So that's the lowest amongst all of the major central banks. However, um, with the arrival of, particularly in Europe, rising COVID numbers before the, the Omicron variant came out, and since that's happened, there's been a, well, a ton of capital flows going into the Swiss franc. And that's meant that the Swiss franc has strengthened through a number of a levels. Flight to safety, a flight to safety tight. Exactly that. Yep, very much so. I mean, the Swiss franc has yet again demonstrated it's by far and away the number one safe haven currency uh, for the for Europe anyway. So we've seen uh, a number of uh, euro Swiss franc levels being taken out by the market, which in the past the Swiss franc, uh, sorry, the Swiss National Bank, I should say, the SMB, has successfully defended. To the extent now, as we currently speak, I mean, euro Swiss franc is trading just over what 1.04. Now, that is, bear in mind, this is Swiss francs per euro. So that is well below well, the 1.07 level, which most investors believe to be the lower limit as far as the, uh, the Swiss National Bank would allow the cross rate to move. So it's already well below that, what, 2% or so below that. And indeed, I'm, we're at the kind of levels now, uh, which we haven't seen for over a year. The last time we did see anything around these levels, the Swiss bank was intervening massively in the foreign exchange markets. Now, the SMB has been intervening. So it's been selling Swiss francs to try and weaken its own currency and buying euros and dollars. Um, but it hasn't stopped the appreciation of the currency. It might have put a temporary halt to it, but it certainly hasn't helped to reverse it. Um, so it still seems that it's almost got to a stage now whereby markets are even contemplating the idea that, well, are they going to have to come out and cut interest rates again? They certainly don't want to do that. But unless they're going to step up intervention and potentially step it up aggressively, um, if this Omicron bar, you know, variant starts spreading and becomes really bad news, we're going to see more inflows going into the Swiss franc again. So they are actually in a difficult position. And you mentioned Swiss inflation is low. Well, yes, I mean, however you look at it, it is still very low. I'm mean, currently, where are we running at just over one, well, about one and a half percent now uh, on the headline rate. The core rate in Switzerland, you know, so stripping out the usual food and energy, it's just 0.7 percent. And each time this Swiss, Swiss franc appreciates. That's on a year. That's on a year. We went up that in a month. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And each time the Swiss franc appreciates, of course, it's just reducing still further all import costs. So all prices may be going up in dollars, but you know, the Swiss franc, I think, is one of about the only two currencies that appreciate against the dollar last week. 
which again furthers indication of its general appeal as a safe haven currency. But you know, imported inflation in Switzerland, well, it's, it's still negative, I and mean, it's still falling, and that's keeping a lid on Swiss inflation, which the SMB would actually likely like to see go up the time when all these other central banks are worried about inflation being too high. And what day is their meeting next week? Will they intervene next? They're intervening probably at the moment. They've been intervening now for, oh, we reckon, the last three or four weeks. No, but their their policy meeting. Oh, their policy have, their policy yeah. meeting. I think the key thing to watch there. I don't think they will cut interest rates yet, but it's got to be said it's at least an outside possibility because for most of the MPC they hate having interest rates in negative figures. Um, but what they probably will do, I suspect, is change some of the language about the Swiss franc. I mean, they've been saying it's highly valued. At one point years ago, they used to say it as overvalued, and I think they may well come out with that. And perhaps then what they're going to look for, I suspect, is to catch the market, um, you know, long Swiss francs against the euro, and then intervene really aggressively and try and get a big knee-jerk reaction coming out of the market. Okay, everybody. So Thursday, December 16th, it starts off with the uh, Swiss National Bank first, and then, what, a couple hours later, we're going to get um, the Bank of England, Bank of England. Or, yep. and then followed by the ECB. Super so Thursday, that, as they're calling it. Yep. So that's going to be a hectic day. It is. Uh, <laughs> okay, um, just quickly to round up then before we talk for too long, should mention um, Bank of Canada, their meeting is tomorrow. Um, that really ought to be a bit of a damp squid. I mean, they've already pulled a plug on quantitative easing, so they're just looking now to stabilise their balance sheet. Um, I suppose the key thing to watch there, currently they're, they're kind of hinting that the first hike in um, official interest rates there could come about in April. The numbers out there, by and large, of late have been very good. The employment report was particularly strong. Inflation, we talked about previously, is well above where it should be. So uh, Mark was talking about perhaps pulling forward you know, Fed tapering and ultimately when Fed rates may go up, it may be a similar sort of a story coming out of Canada as well. Um, the Reserve Bank of Australia, which uh, met yesterday, they announced no change in policy as expected. Um, I guess the main thing to say there was with regards to Omicron. Uh, their view at the moment is it's a new uncertainty, but it shouldn't derail the recovery. I guess, you know, same as any other central bank at the moment, there's having to wait and see what the final effect is going to be. Uh, no change expected out of India this week. Um, and the uh, People's Bank of China yesterday, they announced to cut in banks reserve requirements of 50 basis points. That comes into effect on the 15th of December. And although it's not now now interest rate cut, it's a further illustration of the fact that economic growth in China is slowing. So despite all the talk about interest rates going up in so many parts of the world, as far as China's concerned at the moment, uh, particularly given some of the policies, the tight regulation, so on policies they're currently uh, delivering, it's more a case there of the, the central bank having to keep monetary policy extremely accommodative just to keep the economy growing. Okay, um, is that it? We done. I wanted to talk about oil. Uh, you know, oil fell very sharply with the Omicron. Uh, yeah. Also, you know, um, the release of strategic uh, coordinated strategic reserves. Uh, yeah. That that's marked. A, I don't know. We went from the low 80s for West Texas Intermediate um, to the mid 60s, um, and since recovering, we're recovering today. Back, uh, uh, I think it's like I last saw like a 68. But that was a wild. That could be a wild card um, for the bank announcements next week. Uh, if uh, in, if if oil 
what you know you want to keep an eye on oil if if it can if it for some reason resumes its drop that'll take the pressure off uh, on the inflation that'll almost um make some of the inflation readings at least the headline uh readings um a little for November, a little less meaningful because since those reports were sampled, we've had a, a, a big decline in oil. I just wanted to throw that out. Fair enough, and a good point too. Yeah, it's a question to see, see whether or not that can be sustained because certainly as far as Europe's concerned, of course, there's still this political ish ongoing issue with flows coming out of Russia um, and indeed European stocks are also extremely low too. So if it's a bad winter, again, I suppose weather, you know, weather comes into effect here. If it's a particularly harsh winter in Europe, then we're going to see all prices here almost certainly start going up again. But we shall have to wait and see. OK, right then. Now, I guess then probably is it as far as uh, today's concerned? Um, well, what well, Xmas, Christmas, maybe just about in a corner, but there's still a lot going on clearly uh, to impact financial markets. So do keep up to date with all the key economic data and events in Economy global economic calendar. On behalf of Mark and myself, thanks as always for listening. Podcasts, we're back again next week and we hope to see you then. Bye for now. <laughs>